evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 21 of the Third and Short Overtime podcast. It is not Thursday. We are a day earlier. It's Wednesday, obviously. A few of us couldn't do tomorrow through, through work commitments, so we thought we'd move it to Wednesday, and we've got so much to talk about today. We've uh, moved aside from our stock up, stock down just for this week. We'll probably come back to it next week, but with everything that's happened over the weekend, I'm sure, obviously, there's one thing that everyone knows that's happened, but we're going to get stuck into straight away and a few other things. But before we get stuck into that obviously we'll think of our thoughts from from week five you know without touching on any topics and obviously mine is kind of touching on topics without mentioning the quarterbacks in our like discussions but obviously the quarterbacks a few of them threw their hat into the ring for the MVP this weekend some fantastic performances from um, quarterbacks uh, Josh Allen especially look is really if you did think he started slow he's really getting up to speed from where he was last season you know this weekend he, were, he was incredible um, I'll come to you first, uh, Mark. Um, what about you? Without trying to touch on the stuff that we, it might be hard, without touching on the stuff that we're going to talk on, was there anything else that you thought from week five? Just, the, just, just really. I mean, I, I, the job that Brandon Steely's doing in LA with the Chargers. I know that we're not. I know we're going to talk about the Chargers later on, in particular Justin Herbert. But just a little bit of special praise, I think, for Brandon Steely. You know, coming in then. I think a lot of us thought, who's this higher? What's he doing? Is he on the defensive side? That kind of stuff. I mean, I watched that game this week. I re-watched it. And it was like an absolute orgy of brilliant offensive player calling. In that fourth quarter, it was just something to behold. Um, and really, yeah, I think what, what's really just stood out for me this week, having watched both the Bills... Chiefs uh, watching the Bills Chief game and the uh, Chargers Browns game is that the Chargers are proper contenders this year? Like you know, the beaten Kansas and the beaten the Browns already, and they look really good on both sides of the ball. That's what's left me at the end of week five. I think that's a good one. I, I week five. I mean, it was another heartbreaking week, wasn't it? Like um, it's tough for me. Um, my biggest takeaway from this week was uh, it, we're, 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 the, 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 the gut punches haven't stopped yet, I guess. Um, but no, I'm, I, it was a really good week. There was some really, really cracking games on the Monday night game we're going to come on to. So I don't want to go too much into that. Um, uh, yeah, it was, it was another, like you say, there's some, there's, the MVP conversation's happening soon. And I think there's some definite front runners right now. Um, yeah, I don't. I, it's tricky this week. I feel like it's just a lot has distracted me this week from from everything. I think what we are starting to see now, and I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but obviously we're going to talk about some specifics tonight. We're starting to see the good teams separate now. I think we're reaching the point of the season where like some of the surprises from the earlier weeks are starting to die off a little bit, and the teams that are going to be around for the rest of the season are really starting to show themselves now. Uh, you'll notice I'm not talking about my own team. Um, shortly before we went on air, I've been informed that you now have to provide social media links on a US visa application. So as I would like to visit San Francisco again in the future, I won't be talking about them in this podcast. Uh, and I certainly won't be saying that I want to burn down the team facility. Um, but yeah, I think we're starting to see some real real class emerging now. The Bills, obviously we're talking about some of these teams, the Bills, the Chargers, even the Ravens to an extent. But we're also seeing... 
the teams that made a slightly surprised start, I think the rest of the league is catching up to them now. So that's kind of what I'm taking away from, from where we are at the end of week five. Quickly, before we move on, I do just want to jump in with one thing. Because I noticed, like, I was looking at the YouTube numbers the other day, and most of our podcasts remain about the same. So to the people who do tune into us, because we are the longer, more, we're not the we're not just, like, expecting people who are casual fans to be necessarily listening to the whole thing. This is for the more specific, like, we want to hear about the specifics fans. Appreciate everyone who does hang around for the full, full thing and, and listen to us. Because it's great to talk rubbish about football, and I'm glad you all want enjoy it. Yeah, it's uh, well well said there, Bones. Yeah, obviously, you'll be getting used to talking a lot of negatives about our teams because I don't think any of them are doing well. I know Mark started brilliantly and stuff, but he's uh, sliding back down to reality. It's leaving the Seahawks have been poor, so it can only well I say it can only get better. I don't know if it can for any of our four teams, but we'll 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 get on the roller coaster all the way through the season. We we, we never we never quit. So that leads us on to one of our teams um, on the fourth, you know, one of the main stories from from week five was obviously the Raiders, Raiders and the the Gruden departure. And obviously we know everything that went on there, you know, but we're going to dig deep into it as much as we can. You know, obviously we've got Mark here, who is a Raiders fan, who's going to kick us off. And we've got different areas to to go through it all. Obviously, there's obviously who's going to, when the new coach is going to come in, are we going to see the interim stay out till the end of the season, all this, you know. But Mark, let's, kick off with you as a Raiders fan, you know, like talk us through where you want to start, really. <laughs> yeah, you're right, John. I guess we really have to split this into three sections, or I have to split this into three sections. One, I've got to separate John Gruden from the Raiders, because as much as John Gruden was the face of our franchise, and he was, he was the leader of our franchise, he had the most control in our franchise, he was on the largest contract. He was there to guide this franchise for its birth in Vegas. He isn't our franchise. He is a man within our franchise. So first of all, I have to talk about the John Gruden thing. And within that, I might have to talk a little bit about Mark Davis. I suppose after that, I've got to look at where does that leave the Raiders today? Because we're only a quarter of a way through a season. And we've still got three into a record. And I guess further down the line, we're going to have to talk about well, what does this mean for the franchise in the off-season? You know, so, I mean, let's handle it part by part. Or at least let me try to sort it out in my head part by part. So, John Gruden. We all read the news and we heard this stuff on Thursday and Friday about what John Gruden had said. Um, and he'd kind of said that he's he said that he wasn't meaning it in a racial slur and that he was saying it to because he was meaning that the guy was a liar. And I said to my mates at the time, you can use the word swindler, you can use the word fibber, you can use the word liar, you can use the word con man, you can use the word piss merchant, you can use the word cunt to describe somebody else the second you see he has lips like a michelin tire i find it's very hard to not explain that as being racist one it's descriptive you know what i mean we know what michelin tires look like they're big inflated and black and the guy was talking about the lips on a black man 
You know, he's basically saying his, his lips are big and inflated and black. Now, he can see he didn't mean it as a racist way. But for God's sake, it looks like racism, it smells like racism, it feels like racism to me. So that's the first point. The next thing is, is that Mark Davis obviously knew about this. And what we're hearing is, is that the radars knew about this on Friday. Gruden's had a meeting with the team and explained and said, I didn't mean this in a racist way. He might not have, but fuck is it going to be taken that way? No, he's got a, lock, a locker room of young players in that, in, that, in that dressing room. Some of them are going to be with him and some are going to give him the benefit of doubt because they might be close to him. Other, others aren't. And he went into coaching NFL game. What we've also found out since then is that there was a lot more emails dating over the period of 2010 to 2018, which was right up to the point when he became the Raiders head coach, which has made mockery out of players protesting against the flag in the protests, in the player protests which has used homophobic slurs and also criticised Roger Goodell for forcing the Rams to pick a gay player. And he didn't say it was wrong, being gay. He did say that was wrong, that the Rams were forced to pick one, despite there being no evidence to that, and Jeff Fisher coming out with him saying that wasn't the case. He's had a go at female referees, and he's also been part of this topless scandal with the... Um, Washington Redskins. I think what we've got to remember within all of this is um, John Gruden will not be the only person to be tied up in this. No, the investigation wasn't even into John Gruden. This doesn't excuse what John Gruden's done. He had to go. He probably should have went Friday morning. The truth of the matter is, is that there's 70 million pounds in question here, and I don't care how rich you are, 70 million pounds a lot. I think Mark Davis wanted him to put his notice in because the second we suspend him or fire him, we might be on the hook for that 70 million. And the truth of the matter is, is nobody can cover that. You know what I mean? Um, so I think there was a little bit of a waiting for Gruden to walk rather than, I don't know if they were thinking they could ride it out. I don't see how they can, but make no bones about it. It now looks very damaging on the Raiders brand. Considering what the Raiders stand for, you know, you're talking about, uh, organization which hired the first Latino manager, they had Art Shell, they had uh, Amy Trask. We all know what Al Davis stood for and what Mark Davis's son, I suppose, is trying to emulate. And it does make our franchise, I'm sorry, but it does tar our franchise now. And you do look at it and you go, well, was Gruden the only one? Did Mark Davis knew about that? And did he let this person do? What about Tom Cable? He's his friend. Is he racist? What about you know, what about um, Gus Bradley, who's just came in? He's known Gruden for a long time. Is he in on this? You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that any of them people are, but you can understand the kind of current which will be sweeping in the locker room of these players at this moment in time. Do Gruden kind of be excused for what he did? He had to go. Do I believe that he is that man? I don't know John Gruden. I've never met him. I don't play golf with him. I've never had a barbecue at his house. I've never had a conversation with him. I've never chatted on the phone. I've never been involved in a group text with him. I don't know him. What I see is the figure that's on TV. 
And beyond that, that's always that that's what he wants you to see. I think when you're looking into somebody's private conversations and emails between friends, you get to see what the real person is. And this to me leaves me feeling like, oh God, yeah, I think, you know, like, look, we don't know these people. We don't know these people. And, you know, like, people say that a true, that a true personalities are shown in secret. But um, you've got to, you know, like, normally if they're writing it, they're thinking it. And normally if they're thinking it, they're seeing it in some quarters, like, you know what I mean? Do I think that John Gruden's the only one in this? No. Do I think the NFL should expose all the emails? Yes. Do I think that John Gruden's being made a bit of a sacrificial lamb? Because he's a big personality. They need a big blow. And really, Daniel Schneider should be called out. Yes, of course I do. You know what I mean? Do I think they're sacrificing John to protect the money in the NFL? Yes, of course I think they do. But does it excuse John Gruden? No, not at all. Um, we'll talk about that morality. I'm going to bounce it back to you. Because I know that you are going to have lots to say about this. And we'll go into the next parts later. I'll come back with us and we'll go into these next mod. But look, this was this was a statement that had to happen. Whether it was right or wrong, what the NFL did, Gruden's got to take ownership. He's completely responsible for his words. He's completely responsible for what he wrote. I don't care what other people might say in the workplace. You're part of a 32 NFL team and you're one person. You're, there's 32 people who can't talk like that. You know what I mean? And you've got a responsibility to that. And he and look, you had to go. There's, there's no moral ground I can take from it other than that. I'll bounce it to you, guys. Whoever wants to come in, let's talk about that first. Let's talk about where it leaves the Raiders moving forward. Yeah. Um, i I, I got to say, first and foremost, well put, Mark. I think it's a difficult subject for, for any of us to tackle. Obviously, it's probably one of the worst stories the league has ever had associated with it, I think, all things considered. I think, you, especially speaking as a fan of the team, I think you've handled it really well. Um I totally agree with you. I think there was no option, but he had to go. I, there's no, there's no route back from that. As soon as we saw the first leak, I was a bit, I was very much thinking, right, okay, well, this, this is going to have to be dealt with, and there's only really one way you can deal with something that severe. Um, I, as far as the comments themselves, I keep hearing this: "Oh, Gruden's not a racist." I, you know, like, I know Gruden. I, I've never seen him being a racist. Well, I mean. That's perfectly fine. You know, the guy's been in the league a long time. I understand why there are people speaking up for him, prominent people speaking up for him. I would generally trust their opinion, but what I would say on the I've never seen him be a racist thing, it's not exactly something you would do publicly. You know, this isn't... And it's not necessarily something you would <coughs> sort of... Even if you were inclined to look, sort of let your views be known, you may not do it intentionally. I think this is probably something that you do privately when you feel comfortable talking to certain people. If you look at the tone of the email, quite apart from the boomer style spelling, um, I think you've got, I think you've very much got a guy who is clearly being informal with people that he knows. I think it was Bruce Allen was the name mentioned. I, I, I think I've got that right. Bruce Allen, formerly of the, well, the Raiders and the Redskins, um, or the Washington franchise as they are now. But yeah, I, I, you know, that's clearly a friend of his. They've worked together before. He's clearly comfortable talking like that. I don't think there was any way back, really. I keep hearing the phrase cancel culture knocking around. I mean, we don't have a long enough pod to talk about cancel culture and why it's not a thing, but I will just say this. Cancel culture, in my view, doesn't exist. Consequences culture does. And unfortunately, he's paid the consequence for doing something 
that he shouldn't have done. I, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you, Mark. I think there's more to this story than, than we're seeing on the surface right now. How much more will come out, I don't know. Let's not forget Dan Snyder and why this whole thing was blown up in the first place. That is a you know, that is a horrible story. I hope the NFL gets to the bottom of it. It's very hard to shift a, it's very hard to shift an owner from a position, but I get the feeling that may be the way it ends up. I think this is gonna rumble all all season, frankly. As as long as this investigation continues, I think it's gonna rumble on maybe in the background, maybe a little bit more high profile if a few more names come out, but I I am concerned about where this is heading for the league as much as anything. I privately said to a few people in the chat over the weekend, I thought there would be more stuff leaked, and I thought that would be the tipping point. And I'm not saying he could have survived the initial comment. I don't think he could, but I had a feeling there was more to come because it's it's one of those things that it's almost like they were testing the water. I don't know where these emails have come from, by the way. There's no suggestion who's actually leaked them. The NFL is denying all knowledge. Um, but they've got, you know, the, the media's got hold of them somehow. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was expecting more to come and more did come. And then I think his position was, you know, was frankly untenable. Um, I suspect there will be more coaches involved. There are a number of coaches who've made their political beliefs clear. There's a number of owners that have made their political beliefs clear, particularly with regards to the protest and some stuff around Black Lives Matter. I think it could turn into a real... Real, real painful point for the league, to be honest, if it continues down this down this path. Um, sm- a couple of small points related to fairly tidy things, but I just made notes on them anyway. This this suggestion that the NFL would force somebody to draft, draft Michael Sam, I think Jeff Fisher said it best in his statement today. Michael Sam was an SEC Defensive Player of the Year. He didn't need anyone's help to get in the league. I know he didn't test superbly athletically, but he was always going to get a shot somewhere, regardless of his personal life or anything else. Um, and does Colin Kaepernick look vindicated at this point? Because to me, it looks like this is a, this is an issue in the league starting from the top down. Uh, I do wonder what he's thinking right now. I'm half surprised there hasn't been a comment from him. There usually is when these sort of uh, situations come up, but I guess we may see that in a few you know in a few days. That's pretty much all I've got. I just it's a real black mark on the league, pun not intended. But it's. Um, it's just not a good situation for any anyone to be in, but it's horrible for uh, horrible look for the NFL, and it's a horrible look for the Raiders. I don't know where they go from here, but obviously we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Yeah, it's, I think I think without wanting to drag the point out too much because we don't want to dwell on it. I suppose um, it's a sad week for the NFL. I think it's it's a disappointing week for a lot of people. I think that I think that's the word I've heard the most throughout all the press coverage of this is is just tremendous disappointment. Um, people don't want this in the league. Like, none of us want this in the league. And I don't really, nobody, this has no place in society in general, this kind of attitude. It's not just about the league. It's, it's a greater thing. Like, um, I think, I think the, the real takeaway from all this is this is, this is the tip of the iceberg. This is by no means the end of it. There was, um, so Tom Pellicer, I think, was the one who initially broke the story. Has come out with another tweet today saying that um, I'll read it word for word. I guess attorneys for forty former Washington football team employees released a statement calling it truly outrageous. The only person to be held accountable and lose their job is the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, and calling for the NFL to release full findings of the investigation. So, yeah, but this is by no means the only guy who is likely to take the fall here. And I think it wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the year we see a couple of teams clean house like completely clean house 
Yeah, I think um, you've all covered it really well there. Just but before I bring Mark back in, just a, cu- a couple of points that you you brought up, uh, and I, I mean I think JP mentioned it as well, but Mark brought it up where he was saying we don't actually know <laughs> who Gruden is behind the scenes, and that's the most important thing for me. You know, people who are saying things like "Oh, I don't think he's a racist," we don't people we don't know this guy behind the scenes. We don't know, and that's where you get the judge of character. And for someone to send an email out like that, who knows what he's like behind? So I'm not saying that I'm not like saying that this is what he is behind the scenes, but we, we don't know, so we can't judge and expect like to say that this guy is not a racist when we don't actually know. And I think John as well with the um, Colin Kaepernick point, again, I'm not saying this to be brushed on the carpet before that, but as soon as the NFL came out and said that they got all that wrong and we and apologised for all that, you knew that they had to make a, a, a reaction to this straight, a straight, you know, straight away and put them... I'm, I'd be surprised if they haven't put the Raiders under pressure to to do all this themselves as well, you know, with talks behind the scene. But and again, like Bone said with the Pelisero comment, the tweet, this is this could be dragged on for weeks, you know, with, with the findings that they're going that we're going to find out from. And there's going to be lots, um, like I say, lots of other people that are going to be held accountable for things that are going to be set up through these. It's not just one email. There's a lot of emails that are going to come to surface and. It's, it's going to be a it's going to be a tough week, not just for this weekend. It's going to be tough for the next few weeks, at least, for the NFL. Mark, obviously, Raiders fan, like we said, is there anything else you want to touch on before we move on to what's next for the Raiders after after Gruden? Yeah, I mean, the thing which really sticks with me is, is I know how. Look, ten years ago, if you were to look at me as a person, and I suppose some people will know what I was like then, but some people more. But a bit of disclosure for you, okay, right? I was taking drugs, I was committing crime, and I was locked away from society for large periods. You know what I mean? No. Like, I mean, I'm no saint yourself. You know what I mean? No. The life is about a journey, and it's about learning and educating and growing as a person the way you are. Where you are one day doesn't necessarily mean where you will be tomorrow. You know, you can be one person a week away meet a few people, learn a few things and be, have a completely different view a week later. Never mind 10 years down the line. You know what I mean? So I'm not trying to take the moral ground here. But what I would say is, what has alarmed me was one was Gruden's apology. You know, it would have been quite easy to go, I did say those things. I apologise. I've learned a lot as a person. I need educating. Please tell me how this offends you. Please educate me on on what I did wrong. Look, I've got I've, I'll go speak to the to the members of my team who are offended by this. I'll seek counsel with them and let's see what we can do. But he didn't. To me, he kind of went, oh no, well, what I meant was he's got rubber lips because he's lying and words bounce off them. And it's kind of like, take some fucking ownership, John. You know what I mean? No, you're human. We're all made mistakes, we all say stupid things. Go into half of my group chats now and you'll find some fucking pretty stupid shit that I've written like, you know what I mean, though? Heaven help if anybody goes for my emails over a 10-year period, you know? But have some ownership for it. Hold your hand up and go, you know what it is? You're right. That was my view then. Or I did mean that that way then. A lot's changed in me as a person now. And I need to be educated. You know, I could have wrote an apology better for him than he'd give himself. You know, there was a point after the game where he was like, I'm not answering these questions anymore. And I was like, you've got a fucking right to answer them, mate. You're getting paid £10 million a year. You're standing in a prominent position at lead a franchise. 
Answer the questions. People want to know they're hurt. His team's hurt more than anything. You know, like, in, look, we've got to remember that Bruce Allen's his friend. And in friend, you've got safety and you've got security. And where you feel safe and where you feel secure, your deepest secrets are going to come out and your deepest views are going to come out. Because you don't expect them to go any further. And you've got to remember that. And look, this is just me speculating. But John Gruden's a personality. He's out on TV. That's an act. That's who he wants you to see. It's not who he is. And it makes me think, is this who he is? Because this is a secret part. This is a part that he only shows to his friends. Is this really who he is? Look, I'd be... Mark Davis is... This is a terrible look for, for the franchise. You know, like, I've got two jerseys over there on my shelf. One's Max Cosby and the other one's Darren Waller. And one of the proudest things I am about being a Raider fan of modern days is how we've got two people in recovery who, who play for our football club. One who was kicked out of the league, came back after overdosing in the car, worked in a worked in a, in, in a warehouse and in a grocer's, came back and is now an old pro in his position and is so good at being in recovery. He got the next young person who was in his team who was struggling with alcohol and drugs and got him into recovery too. If you go onto my Facebook, you'll find a post about Carl Nassib coming out. And I was quite proud of the fact that we've got that we had the first openly active gay NFL player. You know, I was proud of it. I was like, this is great. It's great for the league. I was proud of the way that his teammates rallied around him. I was proud of what, of what Derek Carr said to Chris Collinwood about it on the PFF pod. You know, like, and it's just like, it's just like, it's just knocked the wind out here a little bit. Like, you know, it's not a good look. I mean, and if Mark Davis knew about this on Monday, he should have suspended him. He should have suspended him. I think he was kind of, maybe, maybe there's, we don't know the contract. Maybe there's a clause where it's like, no, he's got to walk. I can't suspend him. I can't sack him because I'm on the hook for 70 million. And look, I don't care who you are. 70 million is 70 million. You know what I mean? Where do the Raiders go now? You know, look, we're a quarter of the way through the season. I think Marcel Reese, who's an ex-player, who's an advisor to Mark Davis, is going to have a really big say on what's going on. I think there's a PR job that needs to be done by Mike Neok and Versaccia and Mark Davis and Marcel Reese. And I imagine it's going to be Mike Mayock and, and, and uh, Marcel Reese leading that PR job. I think what they need to do immediately is they need to sit down with those team leaders, you know, those strong characters who are in their locker room. I'm thinking Darren Waller. I'm thinking Derek Carr, you know, like who, who, who are who are focal points of this team and clearly have the respect of their teammates. Maybe Max Crosby, maybe Yannick Ngokwe, maybe Casey Haywood. And they need to sit down with these core players and they need to go. We need to have an open forum. Because players are going to be looking at their defensive coordinators and their offensive line coaches and their wide receivers coaches and because they're young. And they're going to be going, these are being mates of this guy who's just been fired for this for years. Were they in on this? Is this their views as well? And these people have, have now got to play a, a game of distancing themselves from someone they've had a relationship, because we're all John Gruden's boys, you know, like who's known this guy for 20 years or more, they've got to now distance themselves and go, well, I don't stand for them views, I only knew this. 
And I guess it's a really tricky situation for the Raiders now. I think Basaccia is a really good selection to take over as interim head coach because as a special teams coach, he, he coaches players on both sides of the balls. It'll also allow the coordinators just to coordinate and he'll just be there working with the players. And from everything I've heard, some of the like some like players are saying he's the greatest coach they've ever worked with. You know what I mean? Or like all like exes, Damian Harrison. There's players coming out all over the place who, who are saying like, you know, just how just how good he is as a as a person and as an actual man. I think um I think we need to hear from Mike Neok. We need to hear from Marcel Reese. We need to hear from Mark Davis. And we need to listen to the players and let those who are being offended express how they're being offended. We've got to not try to sweep this under the rug. And we've got to have a vocal session with all of them and say, look, what can we do to learn from you and show that we're listening to you? Because there will be some hurt voices in that room. You know? The NFL has literally got decal on its helmet this year saying end racism. There is players literally kneeling because of racial injustices in America, which has happened for a long time. You can't tell me that there's not players in that dressing room which are going to be heard. You only have to look at the performance against Chicago to see that some of them had their mind elsewhere. And the, the Raiders, there's things bigger than football. You know, they need to sit down and they need to listen to these young men. You know, because that's what they are. They're young men. They need to have a conversation. Because hurt turns to anger. And anger has got its own disruptive power. You don't need to tell me about that. Anger ran my life for about 30 years of it. You know, and it was largely because I was hurt as a kid. Um, and it destroyed my life and pretty much everybody else is around it. Um, you know, what the readers do now? That's, that's the first thing they can do. What's the next thing they can do? I think if we look at Gruden, I can't look, I can't look at it as any, regardless of this racial thing. If I look at his tenure, his second tenure, I can't see there being anything other than a disaster. You know, I had uh, 32 picks over four drafts. 32 picks in the first four rounds over four drafts. I don't think we've got any more cornerstones other than Colton Miller. Derek Carr's the only person on the roster which he took in. He might be gone at the end of the year. We've wasted cap. Our best record was 8-8. Eight and eight. You can't look at it as a success. Our play call was stagnant. We won the first three games, but the league cottoned on that. They couldn't defend us in man and turn the zone. And we didn't have a clue to do there. Um, yeah, it was a really, it was, I think that, I think ultimately now the Raiders can actually maybe play some better football. The best football we played was when Carr went audible and played off script. If I was Rich Passaccia, I'd be giving Carr three players into his helmet and I'd be going, you choose which one you want at the line of scrimmage. Let's go no huddle. Let's go quick. He has three calls. What you see, call what you want. Um, it's look. I don't know how it's going to affect us. It's either going to galvanise us, so it's going to tear us apart. And I don't know which side it's going to be. We'll find out on the weekend, I guess. 
because this has got the potential to bring us together stronger or absolutely blow us apart. Um, and it's too early to know. So I guess that's what the readers can do now. Sorry, I've talked for ages. It's a really difficult subject to not do. Um, I'm going to put it back to you and then we'll go, what will it do in the future? I think, interestingly, through through the changes we've we've had announced, um, what I've heard about is it Rich Basaccia, is that how I'm saying it? Basaccia is... Um, been described by multiple people as head coach ready like this guy at some point should have been getting a job from someone anyway so this is like this is almost like a trial period for him it's rare that interim head coaches make it on to be the actual head coach of the team we don't see a lot of that around the league um even when they have winning records our current head coach dan campbell's a good example of that had a winning record as head coach of the Dolphins, the, their season record wasn't winning, but when he took over, the record was a winning record, you know. Um, and um, last year with our interim head coach, when Matt Patricia was binned, was the same story. I think we had a better record after he left. Um, but they don't tend to make it for the job. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I hope he does get the job because it sounds like he's, like you say, it sounds like he's ready for it. You've got multiple players saying he's amazing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be really cool to see what happens. I guess in in terms of his career, I think he, I think to move on to more positives here, like that's one. Try that. I don't mean cool. The situation is cool. This guy's career trajectory could be really cool, though. That's a an upward trend, a nice thing to talk about. I, and yeah, I think what you said though, I think is a good point though about your offense. Um, we know throughout the history of Gruden's tenure, he has a tendency to get himself involved in play calls, and it's. It's been a talking point recently that I've heard a few times. I don't know about you guys, but head coaches that involve themselves too much with one side of the ball or the other and play calling thereof tend to be the less successful coaches in this league anyway. Um, to some extent, you, you want your coordinators to be doing what you hired them to do. Like You brought them in to be your offensive play caller. Don't take that away from them. Let them let them scheme their game plan. It's their game plan for a reason. Um, so maybe we see that Raiders just... With the with the special teams co coordinator taking over as head coach, he's not good. Like you say, he's not going to be calling plays on either side of the ball. He's he's still going to be calling the special teams plays. But um, yeah, I think it's gonna it could it could go one way or the other. I, I hope it goes well for you, but I think this kind of cataclysmic event partway through a season is is not good for morale and probably not good for record. Sadly. Yeah, I think um, I, I, you can see what they're doing with the interim coach, as you say, Bones, trying to get somebody that's not too focused on one side of the ball. And from everything I've read, personality type that might bring everyone together, as you said, Mark, it can kind of it could sink the season or it could galvanise it. I think at this point you got to say whatever happens, it's going to be hard to be a successful season, but it can be, it can be, it can be more than a disaster it can be you know it can be it can be salvaged at least i think if you come out of it with a decent record given all the noise around right now that'll probably be enough um interestingly mike mayock is currently making a statement as we're talking so i'm just keeping an eye on twitter to see what what he might have said but um it brings me on to a question i wanted to ask mark and i guess all of us really we're, we're talking about what's next for the raiders I think it's hard to answer that question until we know what's happening above the head coach position. Mayock is obviously there as GM. He may well have been picked by Gruden, but he seems like a decent candidate to potentially unify the organisation, take it forward. I guess, I guess I'll start with you, Mark. Are you seeing Mayock as staying there and potentially choosing the next head coach? And if so, does that change who the kind of coach you're going to look for? 
sorry to jump in. It does appear that part of what's come out today is Mayhawk has been announced as staying. Just that's something they announced today. From this, if you want to see it as winners, because <laughs> there's not really a winner. But if you have to see it as winners, I think Neok is a winner out of this. It's quite clear that like John Gruden ran that franchise. It's quite clear that like Gruden was making the early picks and his coordinators. And Miok was getting the mid-round picks. We've actually had some success in the mid-round picks. The early picks have been poor. It was quite clear that Clay Fell was Paul Gumpel's decision. Colton Miller um, was Tom Cable's, which has turned out all right. Alex Leatherwood was certainly a Tom Cable pick. You know what I mean? And um, and, and one would argue that Jonathan Abram was probably the personality that Gruden would love. And uh, I'm not quite sure what anybody saw in Damon Arnett. Um, you know, but um, yeah, I think... If you know, like this is where we'll probably get to see Mike Neok as an actual GM in the face, you know, in a GM position and getting to have some power. Marcel Reese is a new. I heard on another pod, it's my information. This I'm not actually heard on another pod that John Gruden wasn't happy about the idea of Marcel Reese having more to do with football. Um, but I think that Mark Davis and before him, Mark Bedane, when he was president. They were quite happy to bring Marcel Reese on and have him more involved in the football in the day-to-day running of the side. Um, obviously, he's an ex-pro, Marcel Reese, you'll remember him, a fullback, ex-pro bowler. I think he's going to be more in that thing. And I think David, I think, I think Derek Carr might be a winner out of this. We all know Derek Carr is one of the smartest motherfuckers in the NFL. He sees a field, he calls good audibles. He's got a photographic mind. The best players, like I said, were the ones where he audible out of what Gruden wanted to run. You know, like, and I think what we'll see is, is we'll see Derek Carr maybe sitting with Darren Waller and going, let's see you more X. What works better for you, Darren? Do you want to go play X for a little bit? Go play X. Let's get Rugs some scheme plays. Let's not always be looking deep to Rugs. Let's use him in a way that, like, DJ Moore's being used, or Tyree Kill was used. You know, let's see some design dump offs for, for rugs and stuff. And I think it's up to Cart to take a hold of this offense and to go, what we're good at and how do we do it? You know, because it's quite evident that John Gruden's call and play calling was really lackluster on Holmes back. The NFL is going to an outside zone running RPO play action machine. Yet the Raiders were running an inside zone running game, barely calling any play action. And um, an RPO, well, obviously, one got, Carr can't really run an RPO anyway, regardless, like, you know what I mean? No. But I, I kind of think that Gruden was holding us back. And I think, look, we're in a contract, we're getting a look at Carr. Yeah, he's got a contract coming up. And now we can go, call and go, well, go on then. Was it Gruden holding you back or was it you? Let's see what you can do. You go lead this team. And we'll know at the end of the season if we're going to hype, if we're going to give him a new contract or not. We'll probably get a better look at Carr now for Gruden not being there. Um, that's a bonus. We're going to know what Mike Miork's doing. That's a bonus, John. Marcel Reese is going to be involved. That's a bonus. Um, moving forward, who are we going to hire? You know, people are talking about uh, Dayball. At the Bills, but I watched that Bills game and I saw his red zone offense, and it's basically Josh Allen running. <laughs> if if he if we're gonna if, if Brian Dearball is gonna come to the Raiders, we're gonna have to change a lot of personnel. 
Because Derek Carr can't run that offensively dead by the end of the first quarter. You know what I mean? And when I think about it, I think probably schematically, the best fits probably Joe Brady. It's not too, Derek Carr's not too dissimilar to what he had at LSU with Joe Burrow. Um, he's also similar to what he's got now with Sam Donald. He likes a pocket passer. Let's also remember that Joe Brady came from the Saints before he went to LSU where they had Drew Brees. And I think most Raiders fans would say that Derek Carr, could, his ceiling could be Drew, Drew Brees-like. You know, like a quote, like, you know, like just spraying the ball on quick rhythm or deep form. You know what I mean? Derek Carr could be Drew, that's his ceiling as Drew Brees-like. You know what I mean? Um, I think Joe Brady's probably the best fit, but if we decide to keep Carr, Byron Leftwich is a good name to throw out there. I think he likes a pocket pass. He's a Carson Palmer, Jameis Winston, Tom Brady. I think he would be a slightly better fit for Carr. Um, Kellen Moore at the Dallas Cowboys is a name which has been thrown around, but I think you're going to have the same problem with Moore as what you're going to have with um, Brian Dayball. You know, where he needs a mobile, big brute of a quarterback like Dak Prescott. Depends if they're going to move away from Carr or not. And I guess we're going to learn that through the season. So those are the names which are in the mix. Nathaniel Hackett, who's offensive coordinator at the Packers. And um, we could look in the college game. People are talking about David Shaw. I like Luke Fickle. You know what I mean? Um, who's, who's turned Cincinnati into a powerhouse, you know, they're, 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 I think they're number three in the rankings at the minute, in the college rankings, Cincinnati, doing amazing. And he's more of a, a person who can get a young dressing room. He's, he's, he's spent most of his time on the defensive side of the ball, but he's clearly a leader of young men. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to know where they'll go. Hey, they might just keep Mitch Passaccia, 61 years of age, been in the NFL a long time, but God, people seem to love him. They might just go, look, we need a steady hand. I mean, I would go young and I would go offensive. I would go under 50 and I would go offensive side of the ball. I'm worried about Andy Reid play callers. And the enemy would be a fear of mine because we all know that that's Andy Reid's offense and that's Andy Reid's play calling. And, you know, be careful because Matt Nagy was one of Andy Reid's and we all know what Bear fans think of him. And Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl, but the wheels fell off eventually for him. And you were in there uh, at the Eagles as well. You know, so... Look, I mentioned him earlier in the week, but what about Lombardi? I think I definitely think yeah. he's in for a look. Like at the Georgias, yeah, yeah, Lombardi, yeah, he's done great with Herbert. You know, there's there's names out there to throw about, but I think what they've got to do before they even think about any of that stuff, they've got to sit down with the players and they've got to look and they've got to let them have a voice. We're going to have an open floor. We've got Carl Nassib, who's an openly gay player. You know, what's his feelings around this? What are the the young players who have all got causes, you know what I mean, though, for, for racial equality, what's their feelings on this? Well, on the lead as in our dressing room, we're going to be key at this point. Nassib took a personal day, apparently. <laughs> Nassib apparently took a personal day today, um, was part of the news I was reading before from Mayhawk's presser, which, understandably, they gave him. What was that, sorry? Nasib 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 took um he took a personal day today. Mayhawk said in um press release, so um, they understandably gave him the personal day. Yeah, there's going to be players in that dressing room. You can't be, you can't be. It's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah, go no, on. 
I'll just throw a name out there, but I'll just immortalize it into podcast history. I want to state before I say this, I don't actually think it will happen for a variety of reasons, but I did suggest it in the chat, largely to wind Mark up, but I I will explain my logic behind it. I said Jim Harbaugh. You see Harbaugh, get off off air. Mark's head nearly exploded, but I'll tell you why. He does have an existing relationship with Mike Mayo. They are, as I understand it, reasonably good friends. And Harbaugh loves the challenge, man. He, he'll feel he didn't complete the NFL because he got to the Super Bowl and didn't win it. And I don't know. I, I think I, I don't think it'll happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if they put a call into it. So I'm just going to say it and just see what happens. <laughs> you can put Harbaugh in with that Jim Fisher, Bill O'Brien, old Gitlock. I don't want any of them. I want. I don't want new. I want new, young, offensive-minded. I want somebody who's going to bring in new concepts of the NFL. I want somebody who's going to bring in new innovation, who's going to look at what's happening in college and look at what McVeigh and look at what, you know, like, look what's coming in the NFL. And look, Gruden's playbook was dated. Bang ass dated. I want something new. I want something fresh. I want something exciting. I don't necessarily want to move off call. I'm quite open to them staying. I've got a. I want to look at them. I want a proof of it. I want this is a really good time to have a look at car. I feel for the franchise, you know. But I want something fresh. Oh yeah, like I said, we've got mentioned all names there for you, uh, Mark. But Rich Versace, I think it's a big chance for him to put a stamp on him. You know, he's got nothing to lose now. You know, go ahead and like, maybe put your name forward into it. I'm not saying that he will. will get. will get the job. But like I said, when you've got nothing to lose, you can you can go out and make him. And do something, and you probably fall back on your special teams position. So, yeah, obviously, we, we spent a lot of time on there, rightfully so. We a lot to talk about. So, let's move on to the next topic. Like I mentioned earlier on, we mentioned quarterbacks, and on Monday night football, Carson Wentz had a day, but Lamar Jackson was unbelievable. He was a one man show, more or less. I think um, I, I, I couldn't tell you the percent, but I think uh, Baltimore had about 530 odd yards, and I think. I think Lamar Jackson had about 510 of them or something like that, you know, on the, on the ground and passing over 400 yards, passing four touchdowns. They were 25-9 down going into the fourth quarter. I think Indianapolis were 95%, 96% win probability. And Lamar Jackson pulled him into it. And he's been doing that a lot this year, you know, and obviously a lot of people have questioned his arm bones. I think he showed on Monday, definitely he has got a pass, passing ability. For all the people around the world who said Lamar Jackson can't throw a football, like last night's game was evidence that yes, he really can. Like, I'm sorry, but that was unbelievable. It was a really good game to watch. Like, I thoroughly enjoyed watching this game because, like you say, at the end of the third quarter, the Colts were up like 23 to nine, 25 to nine, and then the like you say, the the Ravens mounted a phenomenal comeback. The first of what really set the comeback was a big play up the sideline to um Hollywood Brown. He did um he did a double move. It looked like he was coming in on a dig route and he just broke up the sideline and absolutely burned his corner, like ruined him and it was just a big tuddy play. Like, you know, the it was it was brilliant. Like he threw very, very well in the the Ravens, like coming into this game, let's remember they have just tied the like nineteen seventies Steelers record for hundred and hundred yard run games back to back to back to back to back to back to back. Like this is a running football team. This is a team that attacks you on the ground. They didn't get that much going on the ground in this game. To be fair to the Colts, they came in prepared for that, and then Lamar went, "Yeah, but I can throw the ball." Um, and 
the Ravens, I meant, I think I mentioned this previously in one of the other pods, but the Ravens have spent the last few years drafting wide receivers. Like, I think it's the last three or four years they've drafted a wide receiver every single draft. Um, that's quite high up on the depth chart. Devin Duvernay, Marquise Brown, like the list goes on. Um, and they brought in Sammy Watkins this year. So they've definitely been trying to bring in talent to help Lamar Jackson. So I feel like the Ravens always knew Lamar could throw a ball. It's just maybe having only Marquise Brown to throw to allows defenses to really scheme you out. And Mark Andrews, I have so almost didn't mention Mark Andrews has had a phenomenal year so far as well for the Ravens. But Lamar seems to be clicking with multiple receivers now, which definitely in previous years has been the problem. He's only really been clicking with, or it looked like he was only clicking with one receiver. So, yeah, I had I had a good bet coming on this game. Obviously, I showed you all that. I made a few quid off this. Um, what a sensational comeback, though. And Calais Campbell, just to add in quickly, at the end of the game, absolutely saved the Ravens because the Colts were in field goal position to win this game. Calais Campbell gets through and blocks the field goal absolute monster on the defensive line he had a sensational night as well um but yeah the colts didn't look bad here like give credit where credit's due the colts just fell apart in that final quarter and the ravens mounted the comeback they needed to win the game it went to over well to tie the game it went to overtime and then they went on to win the game but yeah absolutely fantastic from lamar i love that ravens team i think when we did the divisional breakdowns i said i thought how good i thought they were well coached team um on Lamar specifically, as you say, Bones, anybody that thinks he doesn't throw the, can't throw the ball is an idiot. Um, I will say this, though. I think that's a game they would have lost a year to a year and a half ago. When when a team comes in to take away the ground game, what they haven't been able to do a lot of the time is kind of deal with that. And I think that was the first step in that sort of happening. I'm seeing, I said this in the chat as well, I think there's a little similarity. Obviously, um, Greg Roman is the OC there. And... Greg Roman was the OC during probably Kaepernick's best years of the NFL. And I'm seeing similarities in what they're doing with Lamar Jackson to what they were doing with Kaepernick. The difference is Jackson being a much more talented player, in my view, he's been more able to take coaching and he's more able of becoming a pocket passer. They tried to do this with Kaepernick in his third or fourth season and it didn't really work out. What I'm seeing now with the Ravens is they're trying to do a similar sort of thing. They're opening up the offense a little bit. It's still got the same gimmicks. It's still got the read options and all, and the RPOs and all those kind of things. But what what they are trying to do now is make him a pro style guy as well. They're not taking the biggest criticism I would have had of Greg Roman at one time is that he took away what Kaepernick did well and tried to make him do the things he was bad at better. I don't think there's anything wrong with that as a coach, but you need to keep the things in that he can do well. He seems to have learned from that because that Ravens offense there was a really balanced attack of like, well, I say gimmicky, it's not really anymore because most teams run it now. But, you know, like that sort of stuff, the read option stuff, the RPO stuff. But he's also added in fundamentals of a normal NFL offense. And the thing is, Lamar seems to be picking it up really well. He's throwing some really good passes right now. That team is dangerous. But the other side, so the strange side to it is they've won a lot of games in clo you know close games now. They obviously had the Lions, they had they had Monday as well. So as much as we think they are playing well, they've got away with a couple. So I, I don't really know what to think. That, but they, they're excited to watch. So I don't think anybody's going to relish playing them. They're doing a really good job right now. Yeah, I think you're right there. Like I said, they, they are getting wins and they're looking good doing it. But I look at that. Obviously, they've had the fair series of injuries, unfortunately, a few teams have. But look at that running back room and... Is that going to get them when they get if they do get to the playoff? Is that going to get them 
over the line in big games. You know, you've got Devontae Freeman. I don't know how old he is now. You've got Octavius Murray. If you if you stop um, if you stop the run game, which is you know like mainly Lamar Jackson at the moment, is are you going to be able to win games? That's that's going to be a question going forward. Like I say, it's it's only early. At the moment they're getting over the line and winning, and that's all you can do going to each game. You know, we can't predict what's going to happen in the future. And on he got it done on Monday night, fantastic from Lamar Jackson. And we'd love to see it as fans, you know, some of his runs are just it's, it's nothing. There's nothing like him in the league when he gets on a run. You know, it's like. He's not the biggest quarterback, you know. You feel like you should be able to just like wrap your arms around him and bring him down, but it's just it's like he's it's like the guy from Family Guy in where he's covered in grease. You just can't you can't get hold of him. But yeah, there's another another quarterback that's on the list. You know, like going on, going to the next one. I'm going to come bring Mark and Justin Herbert. You know, they beat the Browns 47, 42, 47 points they put on the Browns, which is impressive in itself. Baker Mayfield had 305 yards and two touchdowns, which is not bad stats at all. 23 complete passes from 32. But Justin Herbert got it done, Mark. You know, 398 yards, four touchdowns, four touchdowns in the fourth quarter. You know, dragged them like every time they had a, a touchdown, Browns came back and they scored two late touchdowns. And it's just, we mentioned off air before um, we came on that, I watched a lot of Justin Herbert, Oregon, being a Pac-12 fan, and everyone questioned, no one questioned his ability, they just questioned his leadership, and I think he's answered that, like we mentioned with the Raiders game, where it was it was at home against the Raiders, and Raiders brought all the crowd, it was like it was like a, an away game for the Chargers at home, and he still managed to answer, you know, and, and get the job done there in a very hostile atmosphere at home, you know, I know you're impressed with him as well, Mark, what, what do you see with this young lad? Brilliant, brilliant. Right now in his second year, he's already a better player than Mahomes was at the same time. I'd argue he's probably as much as good a player as what Mahomes is now. He's super smart. He doesn't throw interceptions. Well, he hasn't this year. You know, he can generate yards with his legs. What is really the strong point for him is just as what's between his yards. Remember what we see... Uh, Jameis Winston lacks. Justin Herbert's got enough between his ears to lend Jameis Winston some of what he's got and still be clever. He um, He's just a very, very... He's in the top three quarterbacks in the NFL already for me. I'm not joking. I'm literally not joking. He's that good. He's the early MVP candidate for me at the moment. Um. The offense that they've got there is just called to perfection. The way they're using Mike Williams at this moment in time. They've obviously got Keenan Allen, who is one of the best route runners in the NFL. You've got Austin Eckler, um, and he's a threat on the perimeter. He's also a threat out the backfield. You know, I was watching this game, and for the first quarter, one of my mates jokes saying, you're watching it in 40 because they just ran no huddle. They obviously didn't want the Browns to change any personnel on the field. And Justin Herbert was just in command of the offense, and they were just going no huddle. For the full first full quarter, it was rapid. And they were hammering the Browns' perimeters in the flats with stretch outside run plays, with dump offs, with RPO, 
It was like an absolute modern day masterpiece of offensive game calling. This is the first time a team's been able to score 40 points in the NFL and be on the losing side. You know what I mean? Like you're talking about you're talking about a team that scored 40 points and were on the losing side. You go watch the fourth quarter of this game and don't come back and say to me, wow, that's the most entertaining offensive juggernaut on both sides of the balls that I've seen. The Browns were brilliant in this game, but Justin Herbert was just absolutely sensational. And we're starting to say this week after week. Um, it's hard to, for me. He's in my division. I should dislike him, but I can't because he's so freaking good. And as an NFL fan sitting back, I'm obviously gutted that we don't have him. And I'm even more gutted that we'll have to play him twice a season. But I can't step back and go, this isn't amazing to watch. Just blinding. Just brilliant. Um, I think yeah. I think you said something interesting there, though, like the, the college concepts that they use to tire out. like Because we know the Browns' defensive line is a really strong defensive line, but the 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 backbone of these current defensive lines is rotating and, and keeping these guys fresh and keeping if you play no huddle and there's no time to get people on the off the field you're either getting called for 12 men on the field every down which gets you penalty yardage when you're trying to rotate players because we saw i think it was our game in fact the lions tried to rotate players defensively when green bay weren't and we kept getting called for 12 personnel on the damn field it's like if they're not rotating you can't rotate so you just have to go with what you've got and yeah if you can tire out these defensive linemen like Miles Garrett, they're big dudes trying to get a lot of weight forward. It tires them out doing it. They need the breaks. But I think the stat that you were mentioning was like it was 401 games where a team was has scored 40 points with no interceptions and won. And the Browns, of course it was the Browns, are the first game in league history, first team in league history to lose a game after scoring 40 points with no INTs. Like hilarious. This team is so the bonus of going no huddle is that the, the whole defense away to stop offenses to have players who are Swiss Army knives. But when you base offense, which the Chiefs has got is so diverse, when you've got a deep threat like Williams, but you, but he's also using his root tree, where you've got Eklat out and run on the perimeter, but also be used out the backfield. And you've got Keenan Allen and you've got Jalad Cook and you've got a red zone weapon like Donald Pond. They're playing predominantly out of shotgun. They're not under center a lot. You know what I mean? Though? There's so much versatility in that base offense that they need never come off the field and sub anybody in. Because Ekla can flex out into a wide receiver spot so they can change their look of their personnel. They can go, there, was, there, was a, there was a down in this where the Browns were about 22 yards away from the from the from from the touchdown just outside the red zone they were on second and nine which would normally be you'd think second and nine it's normally going to be a running play they went zero backfield they spread it out big i took the shot out the snap gun they converted the first down and they were in the red zone and i thought fuck me what a gutsy call because if you get sacked there you're already, you know, you're looking at being, you know, like, you know, you're looking at third and 12 and you're out of the red zone. You're almost going, are we even going to settle for three? 
you know, it's going to be a 40-odd-yard field goal. Might even be 50-odd yards if your third player is a bomber as well. And it was just this galvanized fucking all-out offensive play calling, which just made you go, this is gutsy. And you're right, you, you, you if you're defence, you can't get your sub-personnel on because that quarterback's going no huddle and they're snapping the ball when there's 20 seconds left on the play clock. You know what I mean? Though? You kind of get your Swiss Army personnel in there and they're able to change their personnel. They're able to go, right, let's go 11 personnel. Let's go zero backfield. Ekla, you're going to Z. You know, like you're going to Y, Allen. Right, okay, and, and you can and they're calling it and it's continually moving, which just completely throws the defense totally off. They can't do now. It was just brilliant, it was awesome, it was great to watch. I'm gonna watch it again for a second time because I loved it so much the first time. Yeah, I think um I've just got to throw it out there, you know, like obviously we mentioned Herbert, but how good is it to have Derwin James back playing football? Because what a player he is, and he's a big it would have been a big miss for for the Chargers over the last, I think it's two years, he's had he's had injuries for. He just couldn't get on the field. He's such a good player, and he's he, he led that team on defense. And like I said, Cleveland Browns were good. <laughs> Browns played well. Chargers just went toe to toe with them and ended up coming out with a win late on with the fourth quarter, especially you know throwing out them for that's that's leader mentality for me to go into a fourth quarter and the way that he led the offense into winning that game. That's 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 championship caliber quarterback play and. Again, I keep saying it, we're only early on in the season, things can change, you know, like you only can beat what's in front of you now, who knows what's going to happen, but at the moment, that he is lead. like, you're right, Mark, he's leading that MVP race at the moment, like, you can argue with Josh, Josh Allen, but oh, second year player, you know, he, this guy is unbelievable at the moment, he's playing some fantastic football. And I'm like you, I might go back and watch that game again because it was it was just delightful to watch. Just a good game in general, even with the Browns, like Baker Mayfield had a good game, we've got to mention him as well. So that leads well, us on to the next subject. Just, I'll just, just I'll go on. You go, go, Mac. And um, just before we move on, this Chargers team's legit. This Chargers team is. We mentioned it in the when we were doing the intros and all that stuff. This Chargers team's very legit. You talked about doing James, which just made us remember just how much talent they've got on the defensive side of the ball as well. Got Bosa and James, two legitimate game changers. Yet allowing Herbert, Eckler, Williams, and. Allen on the offensive side of the ball and a good offensive line now. This Chargers team's legit. Good team. This Chargers team could win the Super Bowl. They limited the Cleveland Browns to two sacks. That just says says it all. You know, like there were a few quarterback hits in there and stuff. But, you know, Asante Samuel Jr., the, the rookie, stepped up as well on defence this year. You know, it's like, like yeah, they, they're a fun team to watch as well. It's not... It, really exciting going forward with, with a great young head coach. You know, there's a lot to like with this Chargers team. Moving on to two teams that have obviously yet to register a win. There were a lot of talk in our chat about the Lions head coach getting emotional. Obviously, I'm going to bring you in bones and stuff because I think Mark, I'm, I'm not sure about JP. I didn't I didn't see, I don't know where he stands on it, but I'm, I'm with Mark and stuff. I, I don't mind the emotion of it. But obviously, you as a Lions fan, what did, um, what did you think? Well... I know this has been a hot topic in, in the group chat, but considering we're talking about these two teams, let's do a comparison. Would I rather have a head coach who, at this post-game presser, gets a bit emotional over the fact that we lost in a heartbreaking situation? Or would I like a head coach who doesn't come home on the team plane so he can go stick his finger up some co-ed's butt 
Um, I'll take Dan Campbell every single damn time. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I, d I honestly don't think it's a big deal. I think realistically, we talk about football being a very emotional game. People getting aggro and stuff. Well, I mean, that's just another emotion. The dude's clearly got his heart in it. And you know what? For a city like Detroit, who's had coach after coach who doesn't feel invested, doesn't feel like they give a damn about this team, a coach that gets up there and puts his heart and soul on the line for, in front of the whole national media, Detroit's going to eat that up. Like People are going to like that because it shows that he gives a damn. And that's what we need in, in our city. Like, that's what we need in our team is, is a coach that just gives a damn. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think and I think the locker room will buy into it. And I think that has a knock on effect going into this rebuild. Because I think right now uh, I've resigned myself to the fact that this is just another rebuilding year. But if free agents from around the league see a coach that buys into a team that much, they're more likely to come to that team the lions have always struggled with getting free agents there's there's always the the meme video where gronk talks about when he almost got traded to the lions so he retired instead like we have a hard time getting people to come play for us it's it that might be a joke like a joke video or something that people joke but that's a very serious problem for unsuccessful teams and teams who've had historically bad coaching players don't want to come play here so yeah i don't think it's a bad thing i absolutely love it but then I'm a Lions fan, so of course I'm going to absolutely love it. On the other side, Urban Meyer's not got a job by the end of this year. I think um, the point you made there about him, you know, people are going to want to play for this guy. And you, you know the Lions better than me, Bones. You know, like the, the coach that they've had in the past, he's been he's been something different to the Lions, something that, where it's like proud to play. And, and people will put their bodies on the line for him, you know, for a head coach like him. And, you know, and it's... I'm sure it's like nice to nice to see. It's nice to see for you, you know. Like I know you zero and five, but it's it's a, it is a different feel, even though you are zero and five. I'd say, would you not agree? No, yeah, I do. I do actually agree. Like the team as a whole, it doesn't feel like the same culture. Like you, I don't know if you ever watched a Matt Patricia press conference, but like imagine Bill Belichick, but fatter, beardier, and like more obnoxious somehow. Like he was just miserable and arrogant and just. That cult, that clearly permeated into the culture of the rest of the team. Based on all the stories we heard after his left and what the team culture was like, that attitude we saw was very much how he coached the team. And yeah, I don't think we, I don't think Detroit's that kind of cult. Like the team doesn't seem like it's it it worked with that kind of culture. So it is nice to see this, and it does touch on something that I mentioned earlier. You know, these kind of head coaches that, because let's be honest, Campbell's not an OC or a DC. Like he's not he was a position coach like he's a he coaches guys and i think that is that's what we that's what i wanted to see like he's not going to get him the offensive coordinator is going to call the offensive calls which we've talked about the offensive coordinator the defensive coordinator is going to call the defensive calls and dan campbell is just going to coach the team and yeah his his attitude seems really good i, I like for lack of a better way to put it like i really think it's better for our team in the long run also, imagine that first press conference when we win a game. Like, that's going to be great to watch. I cannot wait. <laughs> I, I've kind of got it. Kind of relates to both teams. First of all, the 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 Campbell tears thing. It's the kind of thing no one cares about if you're winning. The only reason it's attracting any attention is because they haven't won a game yet. And I can understand this frustration. The game clearly means a lot to him. 
I, I think I don't think I've seen a team lose a game and so find a different way. Well, not even a different way. It's somehow... Two 1917 <laughs> losses this year. Two to game ending field goals. Two. I've never seen a team do that in, in such short order. In games that they play quite well in, you know, like they were good in both games for me. The, the, the biggest issue, I, I talked to you about this, Bones, the issue that I had, I didn't, although there was a lot of blame being put on the defense for, you know, late errors to allow the field goal. The offense had chances to put that game away and didn't do it. And I think they're not far off being a team. They're far enough, but they're not miles away. Compare that to over the way in Jacksonville. That team has no hope. Like, just blow the franchise up and start again. They are going absolutely. The only thing they've got right now is Trevor Lawrence. They are going, they're going absolutely nowhere. Um, they've got a GM that failed miserably with us as GM, and they've got Urban Meyer who does not belong in the pros. That team is just going off the rails rapidly, and it's out of control, and everybody just needs to move out of the way before it crashes into them. Urban Meyer has got to go soon, surely. Maybe some of his emails will get leaked this week, you know. Yeah, obviously, yeah. There, um, I was going to say, Mac, they were at Wembley on um, on Sunday, and me, me and you were going to go down <laughs> go down and watch them. Do you see any positives? For, for the Jangos at the moment. Do you know what I would have thought that? You know, if, if a week ago somebody had said to me a head coach is going to be fired for something that he shouldn't have done, I would have put all my money on a big enough in my eye. You know what I mean? But it turns out it was my head, like not the head coach of my team. Um God, it's this is a real you know, Shahid Khan's already pulled him in and saying that it's difficult, you know what I mean? It's it's not just that, it's a message it speaks about. It's a message it speaks about. When you're a fan of a football team, it's fanatical. You're fanatical. Where the word fan comes from. You're passionate. You invest time in it. You work hard to pay for the tickets to go watch them. I know what it's like being in your castle fan. And when you feel that the owner or the coach is not putting in what you're putting in as a fan, it makes you feel... That they're not on the same page. It makes you hate them. It's how we feel about Steve Bruce taking all his holders. You know what I mean? No, when, when we're losing, we lose one week and Steve Bruce is off to Mallorca. And we're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You should be in that change. You should be in that dressing room running plays and, and working with these players to rectify this. The Jaguars are losing. They're 5-0. and oh. They don't look any better today than they did week one. And the thing that Urban... It's not just that he was with some girl in a bar. It's that, how the fuck do you have time to go to a ball, mate? You're in a losing franchise. You should be spending every minute of the day trying to figure out how um, how how um, how, to, how to turn your team into a winning franchise. You know what I mean? Not like how to, how, how, how to get some bird in the ball. You know, like, if I was a... I can understand the fans being well peeved off. You know what I mean? Because... A head coach should never not be on that plane home, right? Like, never, no, ever, 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 ever. He should be on the plane home with his players. He should be breaking down tape the very next day with his players. They should be looking at what they did wrong and what they can put right and how they can go from 5-0 and oh to maybe winning a frigging game this season. You know, he, he should have things other on his mind than being in a bar. Regardless of where he was with a female, he should have been in a frigging bar. You know what I mean? It's 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 in, in the Jaguars fans are gonna be fuming and the players are already taking the mick out of them. We're kind of taking the mick out of them. And it's 
it's a, it's it's looking bad. It's looking bad. I don't know where they're going to go from this. And the thing is, is, is this is the man you trust him with the power moving on. You're going into a, a period where you've got this cerebral quarterback coming from college, and this team is going to be built around him, which means Urban Meyer is going to be making all the picks. You know what I mean, though? Urban Meyer is going to be building the team for this young cerebral quarterback. They've got to ask themselves, is he fit to do it? Does he put dedication into watching tape? Or is he in a ball? You know what I mean? Though? Does he is he is he dedicated enough to be a head coach in the NFL? A lot of work being a head coach in the NFL, I'll tell you that for now. I bet you they don't see that family from like April when it's draft time all the way to February. You probably get two months where you spend with your family and the times looking at draft prospects, then training camp, then the NFL, then it's back to training. You know what I mean? Though? Like like it's dedication. It's why you pay ten million pounds a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and and maybe he's used to different in college. Maybe he's sitting back and now he's going. Look, this is the difference between NFL and college. You know what I mean? Bigger job. Um, yeah, I don't think he's cut out for it. Raises it <laughs> questions to me. Totally different personalities, isn't it? Compared, I think we've we've talked about it in the chat before. I know me and Bones have where it's. You're working with different personalities when it comes to NFL from college. You know, you, I'm not saying everyone you can push around in college, but you've got that bigger authority over people where you, it's your way or the highway in a lot of cases. Maybe maybe not so much going forward with the name like likeness um, rules now, but when it comes to the NFL, you've got 30 year olds in your locker room. They're not going to take any shit, you know, from from people like Urban Meyer if they don't if they don't agree with where, where he's going with it. And 30 year olds um, that are six and a half foot and 350 pounds. Like it's not just like any 30 year old, is it? Like Urban Meyer's not in, intimidating these dudes. No, 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 exactly. Mark, do you want to have a final point before we move on? I don't want to ignore the question in the right where this kids obviously thinking that we're talking at like soccer when really we're talking about in football. But I'm going to answer his question. Who do I think is the best footballer in the world? Right, there's a guy here that you, like, you've got to go watch. He's um he's called Carl Court. He played for Newcastle. He he he, he was he was marvelous. He had it all: pace, power, right foot, left foot. What I advise you do is you go back and you find as much call court footage as you can. Watch it all, because you might miss the good bits. It might just be the bad footage that you find. But, oh, you're in for a treat. Mark, were you as good as Titus Bramble, though? Well, he was, he, was a, he was an attacking version of Titus Bramble. Go watch Titus... <laughs> go watch Titus Bramble as well, just to be sure. Yeah, yeah. I, thought, I hope we've answered your question there. You know, um, obviously you've stumbled across the wrong. I don't know if you stumbled across the wrong chat or what, but <laughs> that's what we we do. We 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 answer questions no matter what they are, and if we can help you, and I'm sure I'm sure Max helped you there. That's hours of fun down YouTube for that that he's helped you with there. So if you come back next week and tell us what you think of Cal Court and Titus Bramble, we, we'd appreciate that very much. So, obviously, that's covered our thoughts from um, week five. I'm going to move on to my rookie performance of the week. And I watched the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I thought Najee Harris was exceptional for, for Pittsburgh. You know, we we've t- we take the mick out of um, Roethlisberger's noodle arm. And um, although he had a, a better game than he has done, it was all Najee Harris mostly, especially early on. He got, he got the game 
of rolling from he had 23 attempts, rushing attempts, that is 122 yards, a touchdown, two receptions, 20 yards. And I hate to say it, they played the Seahawks. And, I, and two weeks ago, I would have thought, oh, we should we, we'd be able to beat the Steelers. But the Seahawks um, run defense, well, let's be honest, the Seahawks defense is bad. But the run defense is shocking this year. So I don't know if Mike's got him in his bet later for Najee Harris to score a touchdown, but he'll have enough yards. I'll tell you that for free. You know, he'd get Najee Harris to have over 100 yards easily against Seahawks, probably by the end of second quarter. Obviously, we saw the first London game, Kyle Pitts stepped up. You know, they've had a lot of injuries at, at wide receiver. Russell Gage and, and uh, Calvin Ridley out. Kyle Pitts stepped up, nine receptions off, off 10 targets, 119 yards, and he got his first touchdown of the season. With We've talked about him a lot, Mike. Talked about him a lot before he came into the league. We know how good of a route runner he is, and he showed that. Obviously, a lot more people have had eyes on that game because it was London game. It was back to standalone. And we saw how good this guy is at route running and just a threat in the red zone. He's going to be, he's going to be around for, for a very long time and putting up big numbers at the end of his career. And I just, I, I just before I mention the last one, the rookie class this year, I could mention. Players, I could mention about seven or eight players each week. You know, Jamar Chase would be on my list every week, but obviously it would get a bit boring. Obviously, uh, Mark's got a, a guy that we didn't expect, uh, Nate Hobbs, Raiders, <laughs> who's having having a good season so far, unexpected. You know, there's loads loads of players, but I've got to mention Rashawn Slater at, at the um, Chargers. We mentioned the Chargers, how good they are. He, he had to deal with Miles Garrett all game, and he gave up one sack. I know like it's still one sack and I think it was two quarterback hits. Yeah. It, but for a rookie, that's fantastic against Miles Garrett, who's um just a phenomenal player. So yeah, Rashan Slater, another shout out for him. He's had a good season so far. And uh obviously that moves us on nicely for JP's all line of the week. I don't know if he's got the charges, but we'll find out now. Yeah, um I found this really difficult because I was basically choosing between two and they played the same game. Um I can't really split them, so I'm going to say the Chargers and the Browns. You look at that game, you're talking about a game that was a lot of passing in that game. There was three sacks in the entire game. Um, insane to think about, really. I think the Browns O-line is probably consistently the best at the moment. It seems to churn out performances every week, particularly in the run game. It helps having Nick Chubb, of course. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think either the Chargers or the Browns could take it this week. The Chargers O-line, there was some question marks going into the year, you know, about protecting her. But I think they've done a really good job so far. And and he looks about as comfortable as he's ever looked in that offense. Um, so, can't split them. So, I'll say both. Um, I think they're going to... I think they're going to both carry the teams a long way. And I, I expect we might see that matchup again at some point. Um, and it'll be a cracker when we do. Moving on to Bones's underdog's voice of the voiceless. Who have you gone for this weekend, Bones? Um, maybe I've gone slightly, I've might have slightly adjusted the goalposts here, but if there's a few things we've mentioned tonight that do come into play in this. I think it's actually quite an interesting topic is, um, the decline of fullbacks in the NFL. I think it's an interesting enough pre brief topic to touch on. Back at like, so let's start this where, where I once started 1970. Fullbacks accounted for a third of all rushing snaps. Um, and they basically played every single down of a football game. Like we saw, there were years where Lombardi and the power sweep dominated the NFL, you know, fullback, fullback, fullback. Um, you know, and as we've gone through time, the NFL's changed. Um, fullbacks aren't as popular. Even in the 80s and 90s, it's shifted to blocking over 
over rushing. You saw them being, they were still involved in the rushing game, but normally as a, as a guy to go and clear the way for your tailback or running back, as we know them. Um, but they were still very integral to, to schemes. We saw in things like um, the 49ers air raid system, JP, you'll probably remember this guy, Tom Rathman, um, great fullback for the 49ers air raid system. And that kind of playbook still re- really heavily involved fullbacks, especially in the run scheme and stuff like that. Um, on to the 2000s, we started, it really had declined. You know, Lorenzo Neal was a clearly quite a good one. Um, and the last true fullback, I think a lot of people would say, A-Train for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, the last true fullback playing fullback. Um, and Mark's mentioned Marcel Reese here as well, who I feel like I have, I did hear the name when I was looking into this stuff. I've, I, I didn't write it down, sadly. It was, wasn't one of the ones that came up. But there is a reason for this. And I think it's an interesting one because it's not like suddenly all teams went, we don't need fullbacks anymore. And it's sort of a knock on from what happens at a college level. And we've all discussed this before how over time college concepts seep into the NFL, be that because the concepts that the colleges are using work very well with pros or just simply because over time as the college playbooks change so do the prospects so in the next class i think there's zero fullbacks um true fullbacks listed in the next draft class um so yeah you see 11 personnel is the most dominant personnel formation in in the league now and that's because of spread offenses and 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 stuff like that and they don't use a fullback they use one guy in the backfield um rather than rather than two and it's like mark said before because a lot of these running backs now can flex out into receive you can mix up a play on the fly and you know we are seeing it more and more and more and yeah on the flip like and i mean there statistically fullbacks are do still play a place in the league we just see tight ends filling the gap in a lot of run schemes and stuff where where fullback might have traditionally been used you just throw your tight end there because physically and build wise they're not dissimilar types of players tight ends and fullbacks realistically um a lot of people who previously would have been scouted as fullbacks get scouted as tight ends or linebackers now um However, I do think there could still be a place in the league for these guys. We do see teams like the Ravens, like the Niners, who still have fullbacks rostered. I think it's less than half the teams in the league actually pay a fullback now. You know, that's that's how out of favor this this has become. And they only take on average 30% of running snaps or something, or 30% of snaps when they are on the field. So they're mostly blockers. But we've seen players like Derek Henry and and you know, these big dudes in the run game that clearly still have a place as as you know, defensive backs have to get smaller and faster to keep up with your Tyreek Hills. Dudes like Derek Henry can smash those dudes into the floor. So maybe the fullback is a position we see come back in the future. That's it. That's I know it's a bit of a diversion from the voice of the voiceless, but I love fullbacks. So and I love like traditional football and all those old plays. So I wanted to talk about them briefly. No, it's um like we've just mentioned in the chat there, some fantastic research and uh Lovely, lovely to bring the fullbacks into. But he did mention Nick Ballard. You know what I mean? He mentioned Nick Ballard from the Seahawks. You know what I mean? He's doubled up as a linebacker this year. Obviously, it's not I, helped us because we're still terrible. Yeah, I mean, our current linebacker Jason Kabinda came over. Our current fullback came over from linebacker. So 
yeah, it's it's pretty common now to to get that sort of positional. But I do think they might come back. Like it's just take, it's going to take one coach in the NCAA to go. Do you know what would give us a positional advantage, a mismatch in this situation, a fullback, and it'll start happening again. It's just right now in college to win games. You know, because the the skill level is so much different than the NFL. The NFL everyone's roughly the same, whereas NCAA you you've got eighteen year old kids going against like full grown men. The skill gap's massive. Um, so. Yeah, they scheme up things differently, and it slowly seeps into the league. So, yeah, I think it'll happen eventually. It's a cool, it's a good position. No, things change, like over years in, in the NFL. So, yeah, it's, it's one thing that we, to watch out for. It wouldn't surprise me. We're always looking at the next different scheme and to to, to win games. You know, so yeah, it's a nice nice little piece that Bonzi enjoyed that. So, moving on to the um, week six matchups that we look out for. Um, I'm going to be gutted because, and Matt's going to be the same, unless he's got some kind of technology where his battery doesn't run out so he can watch on the way home. So I'm going to miss all the games. We'll catch 9.25 on when I get back home, but I'll have to catch up on highlights. But the six o'clock game that I would have watched if I was able to, is two teams we've mentioned, and it's the Ravens Chargers. You know, that's going to be a fantastic matchup. And uh, can Chargers put another stamp on a good season so far by beating the Ravens? You know, and this, you know, I hope so. And obviously the Bears-Packers game, but JP, is anything that, well, there will be definitely something that stands out for you, but what, what is it? Well, first of all, the 49ers are on a bye week this week, so that means uh, I'll be having a nice relaxing evening in front of my television with low blood pressure. Uh, and I'll be able to drink a beer without wanting to throw it at my television. So that, that small small wins, small wins. Um I would have said Ravens Chargers, but the other one that sticks out to me, Browns Cardinals. Um, that that's two very good teams. Um, I don't know. I don't actually know which is the better team there. Obviously, by record, it's the Cardinals, but I think they they struggled a bit last week. Obviously, they were playing us, so I watched most of that again. They um, for the first time, really, I think all season they struggled to generate any offense. Um, and I, I do like the Browns, uh, particularly like the running game. I can see that being a bit of a, a bit like the Browns Chargers game. I can see that being a bit of a bit of a fight, really, a bit of a war. Um, I think it'll be be a good one, and I shall be watching that in the nine nine p.m. window. I think, uh, yeah, that, that's mine for this week. Mark. I mean, you've kind of covered the games I was going to suggest. I mean, obviously, I'm looking at it, and I really like the look of the the uh, the Chargers game against Baltimore. You know, like with what Herbert and what um, Lamar Jackson are currently doing at the moment. And John obviously rightly mentioned the the, the Cardinals against the Browns game. Um, if I'm going to pick something a little bit um, which will be intriguing to watch, I'm looking forward to watching maybe. Um, Cincinnati Bengals against your Detroit Lions team. Views have been close and, and not at home. That Cincinnati Bengals team, they've got the potential to really obliterate you in the past game. Like, you know what I mean? Like Jamal Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. We know that pass defense is a short of a few bodies. It's going to be an interesting game. Um, it, You might get blown away. But look, hey, you're playing better football. Maybe you'll be galvanized from. For Matt Campbell's um, passionate outbreak. You're not looking forward to Jaguars Dolphins, Mark. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you, and I'm looking forward to seeing Tua and, Tua and uh, Trevor Lawrence, who were two of my favourite college players back in the day. Um, I think um, I think it's going to be a bit of a, a landslide for the uh, 
Dolphins. But it'd be good to chill out with you, mate. In the- you know? Silver lining, isn't there? You know what I mean? Silver linings. Bones, what about you? What I know he's mentioned your Lions team. There's anything else? Yeah, Lions Bengals is not what I'm looking forward to, sadly. <laughs> like at the start of the year, this is a game I'd have picked us for winning. And at this point, this is one of those four or five wins that have slipped away. I don't think we're winning this. Like like you've said, our secondary's full of holes and this team can attack you through the air very well right now. So I think I think we're gonna get a bit opened up. Um interesting games from around the league though. I think Whilst I hate both of these teams, Bears-Packers is a big divisional rivalry. That is a that is like a we-hate-each-other blood sport kind of game. So you want to watch... JP was talking about wars earlier. You want to watch war. Green Bay versus the Bears is, is about as warlike as it gets, I think, in the NFL. Um, big big old big old Chicago versus little old Green Bay. It's a big, it's a big deal. Um, outside of that, I'll be watching Giants-Rams for obvious reasons. I'm basically a Rams fan. Um... <laughs> And yeah, oh, we lost Mark. And I do, I do agree. The um, the Ravens game will be mint because I also love watching the Ravens play football. And we've lost Mark just as we we're about to get to this segment where we really need him to not be gone. I, I feel bad. I feel like it could be my fault. So he, he said he was looking forward to seeing me when we go down to London. I didn't say it back. I don't know if I've hurt his feelings or. <laughs> I am looking forward to seeing him. I just, I, I mean, I, I hope it wasn't me, but. <laughs> Yeah, we've um, Matt JP. Have you got any good bets for this weekend? I could try a passable impersonation <laughs> with Jordy accent if it'll help. Um, I, I, see, I don't generally bet on the NFL, so I kind of rely on Mark to tell me what you know what to do. Um, I think Bones has had some success betting lately, so maybe maybe, maybe you want to throw this one to him. I don't know. Wow, um, um, fill us in, Bones. Fill, try and fill us in before we can get Mark back. Come on. <laughs> I got really lucky this week. Oh, Mark's back. Yes, don't, I don't have to try and answer this because I got purely lucky. Welcome back, Mark, Mark the guy. It must have been my stream that crashed, but I just left and come back in again. So apologize, Technical hitch. Jesus, technology. Not as bad as Facebook, Facebook crashing, but we've crashed. But <laughs> what you want, and you want in the bet scan. Yeah, you, you, I must admit you were lucky, Mark, because we're just going to throw bones in, and we're going to replace you. You know what I mean? And if you're really well, you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, it's on you, Mark. Right then, I'm looking at the slate of games. I'm not having good luck with the bets that I'm giving you, but I'm having good luck with the bets I'm keeping myself. So what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you one of my bets that I'm keeping to myself and hopefully somebody will win some money. So I really fancy a few quarterback rushing touchdowns this week. So I'm going to stick a little bit of money on um, Josh Allen, Kaya Murray, Lamar Jackson, all to get a rushing touchdown this week. Um. I also like the idea of James Robinson for tennis uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Najee Harris, and Austin Eckler all to grab a touchdown. So I'm going to do it in two trebles. I'm going to do a running back rushing touchdown with Eckler, James Robinson, and Najee Harris. And I'm going to do a quarterback rushing touchdown with Lamar Jackson, Kyla Murray, and Josh Allen. Very nice. So I'll tell you something that Najee Harris is a cert. That's that's put that down as a single. Put your house on it. You know that, that that's coming unless he gets injured early on. Jesus Christ. Anyway, 
on that note, we've um, obviously we, we should be back next Thursday, but if not, we're adaptable. You know what I mean? We, we just love talking to you guys and hopefully you enjoy listening. And like Bones mentioned earlier, thank you for everyone who does listen. We'll be back next week and um, hopefully we've maybe stock up, stock down, maybe something different. Who knows? We're, we're a surprise package, but thank you for listening tonight and coming on on Wednesday. See you next week. The highlight of Carl Court's career. That's what we're going to hear about next week. <laughs>